When I mentioned to a few people that I was going to be studying or we were going to be going through the book of Judges, the question I was always asked was, why Judges? What is, what's the point of Judges? Well, honestly, that's a really good question that any pastor, any teacher should answer before opening any book of the Bible, before studying it and before presenting it. Why? What's the point of this book? Why is it important to us? Why is it important to me? And as readers who, or, and you as readers who study it, that's a question you should be asking also as you begin, to, when you open up your Bibles and you begin any book in the, in the Bible. So what I hope to do this morning is to do that. I want to answer that question by first giving you a proper introduction and then showing you how the book of Judges is relevant to us in the culture we live in today. You see, although this book was written over 3,000 years ago, I think you will notice many similarities between the nation of Israel at that time and our society today. So what I've decided to do is dedicate this morning's entire message to understanding this book and why it's worthy of our attention. So the book of Judges is a tragic account of how Yahweh, or God, was taken for granted by his children year after year, century after century. The time of Judges brought about a great apostasy in Israel. The nation underwent political and religious turmoil as the people tried to possess those parts of the land that had not yet been fully conquered. Judges is a sad contrast to the book of Joshua, which chronicles the many, which chronicles the many blessings of God bestowed upon the Israelites for their obedience in conquering the land. In Judges, the people were disobedient and idolatrous leading to their many defeats. And because of their rebelliousness and idolatry, God brought judgment through foreign oppression. And so what would happen after that? They would cry out to God. And then God would raise up a deliverer or judge. And the people repented and turned back to God. When the people fell back into sin, the cycle started all over again. I have a quick illustration here to show you what the cycle that was going on at the time. So this is what the cycle looked like. Israel serves the Lord. Israel falls into sin of idolatry. Israel is oppressed. Israel cries out to the Lord. God raises up a judge. Israel is delivered. And then the cycle started all over again. And this is what you'll see throughout the book of Judges as we go through this book. This was the cycle of misery. In judges. I like this illustration because it shows us again how susceptible we are to fall into this cycle as well and how good and faithful God is to rescue us each and every single time we cry out to him. So again keep this in mind as we go through this book. I believe that as we examine this historic, the historical events that took place during that time, you will easily see how relevant they are to our 21st century Western culture. You see, we live in a postmodern age. 
many people in this postmodern age believe that there's no absolute truth and that truth is relative. Now, if you don't know what that means, when someone says that truth is relative, what they mean is that something that is true for one person may not be true for another. Your truth is not my truth, and my truth isn't, isn't your truth. And that's the society, the culture that we live in today. Well, that's precisely what was happening in ancient Israel during the days of Judges. A reoccurring theme throughout this book is that every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. And isn't that what we see in our culture today? People doing what is right in their own eyes. Although the sinful behavior of that day looked a little different than our own, the truth is God still sees sin as an offense to him. So while I believe that we're not the nation of Israel, we are experiencing similar circumstances to those described in Judges. Yet despite Israel's continued cycle of misery, God remained faithful to them because they were his people. He listened to their cries for help. He listened to their cries for mercy and raised up leaders to deliver them. These were God's faithful heroes in an unfaithful nation. The book of Judges is a testament to God's faithfulness. We're told in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. You see, though we may be unfaithful to him, as the Israelites were, Still, he is faithful to save us and preserve us and to forgive us when we seek forgiveness. So this book will show you how God will never fail to open his arms in love to his people whenever they repent from their wicked ways and call upon his name. Now, we don't know, I don't know how long it's going to take us to go through, those, through, through this book. It might take us through the new year. But we want to examine it thoroughly. We want to examine it carefully because there's a lot of lessons that can be learned. But I hope that by the time we're done with this book, that it's clear to you that the hero in this book is God and God alone. So let me just share with you now some background information about judges. Now, there's a lot of uh, scholarly debate I've looked at many commentaries, many historical books about judges. And so this is the best, um, what most have come up with. Most scholars and, and uh, Bible teachers have said. Now, the text of Judges gives no direct uh, indication as, as to who wrote it. But Jewish tradition names the prophet Samuel as the author. And if this was the case, then Judges was likely written between 1045 and 1000 BC. This would be around the time when Samuel anointed Saul as king. Now the period in Judges, the whole period, that whole period there, 
spans about 300 to 400 years. Now I've seen some that have, some uh, have said that it's probably 500 years, but most have said three to 400 years. From Joshua's conquest until Eli and Samuel judged prior to, prior to the establishment of the monarchy. Now, when most of us think of a judge, what do we think about? What comes up in our minds? I know that for many of us, the most common idea or image that comes up is a man or a woman sitting with a gavel in a courtroom, the black robe, judging cases, judging legal cases. Some may even look to Exodus as an example of who and what judges do. In Exodus 18, if you remember, leaders were appointed as judges to pay attention to issues among the Israelites and judge fairly between one citizen and another or a citizen and a foreign resident. There, in Exodus, these judges helped remove some of the legal and administrative burdens for Moses. However, the judges we see here throughout this book were a little different. They were faithful military leaders who God used to bring up the people to get right with God and lead them into battle. For the most part, these Jewish leaders were instruments of deliverance from external enemies and not for the settlement of eternal, in, in, internal disputes. In addition, these judges function as princes, rulers, and chiefs over the specific territories and clans. So I guess you can also name this book. Another name for this book could be the Book of Tribal Rulers. Now, another aspect to keep in mind as we go through this book is that it likely wasn't written chronologically. Scholars believe that some of the judges ruled simultaneously in separate geographical locations. This is why you might notice some occasional overlapping in the book's timeline. I also want to point out that the book of Judges can be divided into two sections. Chapters 1 through 16 gives an account of the wars of deliverance, beginning with the Israelites' defeat of the Canaanites and ending with the defeat of the Philistines and the death of Samson. Chapters 17 through 21, which is referred to as an appendix, doesn't necessarily relate to the previous chapters, but there are some, still some good concepts in there that we need to understand. So that's the background. And now that I've given you a little bit of a background on this book, I want to set the stage by briefly telling you where we are and how we got here. Now, you guys know the story of Exodus uh, and might have you know, also read Joshua. But just to give you a brief overview, after God had freed Israel, Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, he used Moses to lead the people into the promised land, into the promised land. However, due to an act of disobedience, Moses wasn't allowed to enter the land. And, you know, again, we're told that he died. Everyone else went in, but he couldn't enter and he died out, out there in the wilderness. After he died, 
God raised up Joshua to lead Israel into the land and conquer it. However, unfortunately, Joshua didn't live long enough to see the complete victory in the land of Canaan. Again, I have a map here to show you what I mean. So the red part consists of the conquered lands at the end of Joshua. And this is the lands that we're pretty much talking about here in the beginning. The land, the green section here, is the land they were supposed to conquer as they went in. I also saw this interesting map. This was the full promised land that they were supposed, that they were supposed to have. The full promised land of Israel. Again, I'd have to get into Genesis and Exodus to, to really get into the details here. But according to scripture, this was supposed to be the entire land that they were supposed to occupy. The promised land of Israel. The book of Judges acts as a sequel to the book of Joshua and picks up right after his death. It tells of the various leaders raised up to deliver Israel from the enemies remaining in the land. In the book of Joshua, the people of Israel seem to want to follow the Lord and obey his commands. But in the book of, but the book of Judges reveals, however, that the people have been rebelling <coughs> even since Joshua's time. And as we'll see, this disobedience continued and it grew more serious throughout the period of Judges. You see, rather than looking to God for strength and guidance, as they saw Joshua do, they only focused on the enormous challenges around them, and they began to feel fear and despair. Sadly, instead of clinging to God, instead of holding on to him, looking to him for strength and guidance and, and help, they let go of him. They just said, you know, we've got to figure this out on our own. The overall theme of Judges is the downward spiral of Israel's natural, national and spiritual life into chaos and rebellion against God, showing the need for a godly king. The primary message of Judges is that God will not allow sin to go unpunished. unpunished. The author's goal is to wake up his own generation. And as we read through this book and as we study it, that's what I hope too is that our own generation will wake up. He is appealing to the covenant people to abandon all forms of paganism and return to Yahweh. He also offers his readers a profound account of God's grace. Left to their own devices, the Israelites would surely have destroyed themselves. Only by the repeated gracious intervention of God do they emerge from the dark period as a separate people and nation. Some other key terms, some other key themes in the book of Judges are this. The, Canaan, the canonization of Israel, Israelite society during the period of the settlement. And what this means, 
is that rather than setting themselves apart from the world around them, they began to look and act like everyone else around them. Rather than saying, no, we're a separate nation, we're children of God, we're the nation, we're God's special people. Rather than seeing themselves for who God sees them as, they were like, oh, that, that, those Canaanites, those people over there, man, they got it going on. They know how to party. They know how to have a good time. I want to be part of that. I want to look like them. I want to dress like them. I want to think like them. Man, this whole Jewish thing is kind of boring. We're restricted with, with where we're allowed to eat, with what we're allowed to wear. But man, do they know how to party. And so it, looked, it was tempting for them. It looked good for them. And so they slowly and surely they began to resemble the world around them. The other key thing is that the key theme here is Israel's existence in the land, which had been promised by God, was threatened by continue, continuing rebelli- rebellion. The nation was almost destroyed from within right as they were getting s- established. And the third key theme here, uh, there are several themes. I've just, I only mentioned three here, but there are several. But the third one I wanted to mention was Israel needed a godly king to lead them, lead, to lead it in doing the right doing right in the Lord's eyes rather than a leader who did what was right in his own eyes. Judges shows the depths to which the people of Israel descended in the absence of a godly king. Now, these themes are important to understand because they relate and give us the purpose of this book. The book of Judges continues the history, continues in the history of Israel, bridging the years between the conquest and the rise of the monarchy. But in addition, the author was building a case for the need of a great king. In doing so, he demonstrated the downward trend of the spiritual condition of Israel over the centuries of the judges. He is arguing that temporary and local leaders could not provide a solution to the underlying problems the people of Israel faced. And again, this rings true to what we see in America today. People are looking to their political leaders for the answers. They're looking for the government or they're looking for just others to guide them and to lead them, to show them how to solve their problems. When instead, we should be looking to God. We should be looking to Him alone to help and guide us. The government, our political leaders, whether it's our senators, our governors, our president, they're not gonna solve our own personal problems. But we have a king. We have a king who has and who will. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one that we need to look to. To help us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. 
so that we can commune with him, so we can talk to him and, and be able just to have that fellowship with him. And the more we commune, the more we talk to him, the more we just will see him and hear from him, whether it's through his word or whether it's through preaching or whether it's out there, maybe someone will say something that you needed to hear. That's how God works in that way is that he speaks to you in those different kind of ways. The only way your ears will be able to hear him is if you listen. If you listen carefully, if you are in fellowship with him. I know that, you know, every night I'm like, Lord, speak to me. Now, I'm not expecting an audible voice. And you shouldn't, you know, that's a mistake everyone makes is that they're looking, they're trying to hear an audible voice. But no, he doesn't always speak to us that way. Again, there's various ways that he speaks to us. But again, he alone provides the solution to every underlying problem that we have. And we have to trust him. We have to believe in that fact. We have to place ourselves in his hands. Now I have to admit that yes, this book is challenging. It's gonna challenge you. It does have some distinct challenges that may cause some readers to question God's holy and divine nature. Here are just a few of the challenges this book poses and why they're important for us to understand. Challenge one. In this book, there's a lot of sex and violence. Now, although these two topics are seen throughout this book, they're never depicted in a glamorous way. And they aren't meant to be the main reason of interest. They are described in a way that tells the truth about the consequences of unbelief and disobedience. Judges directly addresses sex and violence because, precisely because they are so prevalent in our society today. Just turn on the TV on any channel and you see, you'll see it. And you know, it's interesting because we've kind of, our eyes have grown almost blind to it. But if you make an effort just to say, you know what, I'm gonna pay attention this time and you turn on the TV and you'll see how quickly there's something about sex or something about violence. We've almost grown immune to it because it's so prevalent. And again, that's why this book shouldn't, it, it shouldn't worry you. It shouldn't cause any concern because it's, it's not as, it's not as bad as what we see in some of these video games, some of these movies, some of the, you know, I mean, I was watching some of these superhero movies and those have more violence than this book. But we all need to be warned. And this is what this book does. It, we need to be warned and instructed regarding, regarding violent behavior and sexual immorality. Now challenge number two is that many consider this book as politically incorrect. One commentator described the challenge in the following way. For many readers, Judges 1 raises the so-called 
moral problem of conquest. How horrid that Israel butcher innocent Canaanites, wreak havoc and misery, grab their land, and all allegedly at Yahweh's command. If only the Canaanites could know how much emotional support they receive from modern Western readers. I'm sure you've heard about that. How can you worship a God who just destroyed a whole, pe- like a whole nation, who wanted all the Canaanites, men, women, and children, all killed? It's hard to explain that if you don't understand why. And maybe it's something that you've avoided, and, or maybe it's something that you just, and that's why judges is so challenging, because you're just like, ah, you know, I just, I can't explain it. But I hope, again, as we go through this book, as we go through those sections, as we go through those chapters, you will see why. And I'll get more into detail as to why it was necessary for the Israelites to utterly annihilate the Canaanites. But for now, it's important to understand that had they not done so, had they not destroyed, completely annihilated these people, this, the nation of Israel would have ceased to exist. It was like a, they had become like a virus to the people, to the nation of Israel. And it needed to be cut off. The principal Christians can learn from the Old Testament command to the Israelites to exterminate the Canaanites is this. We are to be merciless regarding sin, particularly sin in our own lives or in the church. We cannot live in peaceful coexistence with sin. We're told in Colossians 3, 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Challenge number three. Judges is an ancient book about ancient history. And maybe you feel like, man, I hate history. I don't like it. it sucks. For me, when I was growing up, is one of those histories, one of those topics that I just loved reading about. I loved understanding it. History is one of my favorite topics. But maybe for you, maybe for some of you, it may not be. It's one of those, like, ah, why do I need to know about history? What's so big, what's the big deal about it? There are many people today that have a disdain for history. And because of this, it's often attacked and abused in our culture. Think about it. Modern science, technology, psychology, evolutionists, and those who argue in favor of of, uh, relative truth typically have a negative view of history and will find ways to undermine it. However, as Christians, we ought to embrace the value of history and not allow it to be trampled underfoot so that, we, so that we avoid the powerful message of the Old Testament. A disregard for history. It's denial of what we see taught and practiced in the scriptures. God said this in Isaiah 46, 9. 
Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. During the time of Judges, the nation of Israel disregarded their own history. It seemed, it seems like all the events that occurred in Exodus became insignificant and ancient history. To them, the memory of it had faded away. They also had a disdain of history because had they embraced it, had they appreciated it, maybe, just maybe, they wouldn't have made this, those mistakes that they made. They wouldn't have fallen into sin so hard. They wouldn't fall into idolatry. Had they remembered what God did for them in Egypt, had they remembered what God had done for them in the desert, how he appeared to them in a pillar of fire by night and a, in a pillar of cloud by day and how he fed them and all the amazing stories that we see in Exodus, had they embraced that and had they kept that close to them, maybe they wouldn't have fallen away. We don't know, but the fact is that they did. They, they also had no regard for their history. And that's why we need to, as Christians, as believers, we need to embrace it. As, we need to embrace history. We need to learn from it so that we can avoid mistakes from the past. Personally, I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes in my marriage. I made a lot of mistakes in my, as a father. But now I look back and I, I learn, I, I've learned from those mistakes and I desire not to make the same ones again. Too many tears have been shed. And I know I don't want to shed any more tears for anyone. Memory is a gift. Remembering the past teaches us countless lessons about how to live today. Now, there are more obvious challenges to this book. And as we go through it, they will become obvious to you. Nevertheless, we must understand that God's word is designed to do just that challenge our preconceived notions about who God is and his righteous ways. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. Now the last point, the final, well the last point I want to make about the book of Judges has to do with a question you may be asking. What does the book of Judges have to do with me? Well, if I haven't answered that question already, I want to take the last few minutes of our time together to explain how this book is relevant to you and how it applies to the world you live in. The key to the relevance of the book of Judges for, for us as American Christians, for like the Jewish nation during that time, is that we have largely forgotten God. We have largely forgotten the Lord. We have come to take for granted His gracious, 
redemptive work on our behalf. Like the ancient Israelites, we too are being squeezed into the mold of the pagan world around us. Daniel Block wrote this. Evidences of the canonization of the church are everywhere. Our preoccupation with material prosperity, which turns Christianity into a fertility religion, our synchristic and aberrant forms of worship, our refusal to obey the Lord's call to separation from the world, our divisiveness and competitiveness, our moral compromises, as a result of which Christians and non-Christians are often dis indistinguishable, our male exploitation, exploitation and abuse of women and children, our reluctance to answer the Lord's call to service, and when we finally go, our prosperity, our propensity to displace thy kingdom come with thy kingdom come with my kingdom come. Let me read that over, I'm sorry. Our reluctance to answer the Lord's call to service, and when we finally go, our propensity to displace thy kingdom come with my kingdom come. Our eagerness to fight the Lord's battles with the Lord's resources and strategies. Our willingness to stand up and defend perpetrators of evil instead of justice. That is what we see going on here. That is what is happening even within the church and as Christians. The canonization of the church. Just what we see, what was going on with the Israelites, we see happening here within the church. I hope not in this church, but in many churches. This book also teaches us some important lessons about God. First, God graciously, graciously calls his people into a mutual and formal agreement with himself. This agreement, or as many of you probably heard a covenant puts you into a special relationship with him and we when we abandoned him for other allegiances God is rightfully angered God says in Exodus 25 for I the Lord your God am a jealous God second God's burning love for us tolerates no rivals. If you're his born-again child, you can't serve him and serve other gods. God wants all of you. He wants all of your worship. He wants all of your devotion. He doesn't want pieces of you. He doesn't want you to give your devotion and your attention to those material things, to those people, to those, I mean, we've talked about idolatry before. It doesn't have to be a statue, but it's those things that we make more important than God. He doesn't want a part of you. He wants all of you. He doesn't want you to give your worship to anybody else or anything else. He wants all of it. He wants all of your worship. And thirdly, God is gracious. This is what we learn in, in, in the book of Judges. 
he still often treats his people not according to what they deserve, but out of the boundless, boundlessly merciful, out of his boundlessly merciful heart. Lamentations 3.22 says, the faithful love of God never ends. His mercies never cease. And fourthly, all positive accomplishments in the church is the work of God. Human leaders all have a profound propensity to disappoint and exploit the church for their own purposes. You may have seen that. You may have come from churches or have, <coughs> excuse me, been through churches where the leaders have abused, whether morally, spiritually, physically, other church members. They've really, and, and for the most part, there's a lot of these church members that have completely fallen away, that their faith has been wrecked because of an unfaithful or just a really bad leader. They've disappointed, and maybe they've disappointed you as well. And if they have, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you've gone through that. I'm sorry you've experienced I'm, I'm sorry you've experienced that. As a child of God, you shouldn't have to go through that. And that's why we need to be careful about who we choose to be our spiritual leaders. Take some time to know them. That's why, you know, I, I would want people just to come and when they come to this church, to come and sit get to know me come and talk to me come and talk to my wife my kids you know you can go to my my facebook account you can go on my twitter you can see what kind of a heart that i have you might find some funny quotes in there but nothing <laughs> you won't find anything like you know too crazy in there but take some time to get to know those leaders because some of them will. Some of them will just... And you know what? Maybe later on the line, down the line, I may disappoint you. I may disappoint you. I don't know. Maybe some people have left here already because they just... They don't like the way I talk or maybe the way I look at my wife and kids. I don't know. Many reasons. Many, many reasons why they've been disappointed with me. But what I'm trying to say is that look to God. Always look to God to lead you, to guide you. He, anything good that happens here in this church or any church, any growth here at Fresh Vision Church should always be credited to God. I will never say, you know what, I'm such a great leader, I'm such a great speaker, because you can see that I'm not the best speaker. You know, I, I'm not the best presenter. I get mumbled sometimes with my words. You know, but any, I believe that any growth here in this church will be because of God. I will give, we should give Him all the credit. I will always give Him the credit for anything that positive and good that happens here in this church. I will never give myself any kind of credit. And if you do, it's okay to kind of just point the, just give me that, hey, watch out. You know, Angel, you know, I, 
I always want to give the Lord the credit for everything that happens here. And any church that gives themselves the credit, just watch out. Watch out for them. This is God's church. This is His church. So in this book, we'll also see stories that foreshadow the arrival of the Messiah. For example, the announcement to Samson's mother that she should bear a son to lead Israel is, a foreshadow- is, is foreshadowing the announcement to Mary of the birth of the Messiah. In Judges 13, 7 and Luke 131, God sent, his, God sent his angel to both women and told them that they would conceive and bear a son who would lead God's people. Judges identifies, therefore, the conditions that prompted the royal messianic hope, that one in whom the Spirit would come and through whom God would rule the nation and nations perfectly and powerfully. We also see how God's compassionate delivery of his people, despite their sin and rejection of him, presents a picture of Christ on the cross. Jesus died to deliver his people. All who would ever believe in him from their sin. Although most of those who followed him during his ministry would eventually fall and reject him, still he remained faithful to his promises and went to the cross to die for them. Paul tells us in the Old Testament scripture that that the Old Testament scriptures produce encouragement that gives us hope, which produces endurance. Although it may be difficult to see, the book of Judges is designed to do exactly that. You see, despite how bad Israel had become, God remained faithful to his covenant promises. Time after time, generation after generation, the Israelites sinned. And every time they cried out to him to rescue them, God raised up a judge, a deliverer, to save his people. If you're a believer, this should encourage you for a couple of reasons. First, It assures you that God will fulfill his purposes and promises to you, even when you fall short of what God desires for you. We're told in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And second, God used men who were not perfect, men who had flaws, If you're thinking to yourself, oh, God will never use me. Look how bad I've blown it. Look how bad of a person I am. Look how bad of of a wife, husband, kid I've been. God will never use me. I'm just, I'm nobody. Well, if you look throughout the Bible, in the stories of men, people, that the men that God used, that that he brought up, they were nothing either. They weren't royalty. They weren't important people in society. They were people just like you and me who had the same problems, who had the same issues, who had the same fights with their spouses. 
who just didn't accomplish much. And we're going to see how God uses ordinary people and judges to do extraordinary things. Here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27-29 says. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. In the end, it's not our faithfulness on which we can count, on which we can count, but on God's faithfulness. Endurance grows because our confidence in God grows as we are reminded of his deeds in history. Now, as I conclude, I, I just want to mention a few more things. I believe this country was founded by men who had faith in God, who wanted this nation's morals and principles and value, I'm sorry, this nation's morals and values grounded on biblical principles. Unfortunately, for the past 241 years, the moral condition of America appears no different than what it was back in the book of Judges. Just like back then, Today, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. The moral compass that once directed Americans to God has been broken. And as a result, many of them are lost and heading in the wrong direction. As Christians, we have a responsibility to bring people to Christ so that the compass can be repaired and lead them into eternal life. As dark and uncertain as these days are, we have been given a perfect deliverer who will save us from every enemy that seeks to destroy us. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Unlike the judges of old who only brought temporary deliverance, Jesus brings eternal deliverance. He not only frees us from the bondage of sin, but he promised that he will return to this earth and defeat his enemies and establish an earthly kingdom. Maybe you're listening today and have forgotten the great works God has done in your life and have allowed difficult circumstances to overpower your faith. If you feel he's disciplining you now, Remember that Hebrews chapter 12 says that he disciplines, he disciplines those he loves. He loves you. He cares for you. And the reason you're being disciplined right now is because there may be something in your life you're just that is, you're being disobedient. And if you, as parents, we know what needs to be done when our children are disobedient. It's not because we hate them. We correct them because we love them. So don't lose heart if you feel like you're being disciplined right now. It's going to be hard. It is hard. But just know it's for, your, it's for the best. It's to teach you something. 
and you'll get through it. Just don't stay down. Get back up and say, Lord, what is it you want me to learn from this? And he'll reveal it to you. He'll show you what it is. But again, he disciplines you because he loves you. Return to him. Remember, trust and obey. He's waiting for you with open arms. And if you've never trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ for your salvation, do so today. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and to save you from eternal death. Nothing we read about in the book of Judges can compare to Jesus, God's once and for all deliverer. His faithfulness alone is what will give you eternal life, hope for the future, and endurance in difficult days. Going back to what I said earlier, we live in a really difficult time. There's so much insecurity, so much anxiety out there. We see what's going on with the earthquakes, the hurricanes, the talks of war, the rumors of war. We shouldn't be surprised as Christians. The Bible talked, that the, talked about that these things would occur, that these things would take place, that we ought, but we ought to take hope. We ought to take hope and not fear because we know that time is near the time is near when he's going to come and just take us I believe before it really gets wicked and violent here I absolutely believe that the rapture will take place we won't be here to see all that and again I've, I believe in this I have hope in this but even if that didn't happen, that's, that wouldn't take away my hope. Because I know that he's going to rescue us. He promised that he would rescue us. So if you're a Christian, if you're sitting here and you're looking at the world around you, you're looking at your circumstances, and you're like, ah, oh, there's just, I, I'm not gonna, I can't handle this, it's too much, and, and uh, hold on to him. Embrace him and just don't let go. And, re- and he will rescue you. If you're going through that cycle, there has to come a point where you just have to break that cycle, break it, and just stay there, stay in those promises of God. And you'll see how much your life will change. How do I know this? Because I lived it, I experienced it. Don't stay down. Again, as we go through Judges, I hope that you will learn there will be a lot you can learn from this, from this book. I hope that you will be with us. And if you're not, again, these studies will be online. On, on the, the audio will be on, I, we have an iTunes podcast and on SoundCloud, but video will be on YouTube. But watch, listen, and learn what the, what the Lord wants to say to you. And again, if you've never asked him to be the Lord of your life and you've never been born again and you believe 
and now you're starting to feel like the Lord's speaking to you and you want to be born again. You want to place your trust in him. As we close in prayer, I'm going to lead you in a personal prayer to do just that. So at this time, if everyone can just bow their heads, heads and close their eyes as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, and we, we live in perilous times, Lord. We live in some really strange times, and, but we see the signs, Lord. We see the signs that you've given us. And although as scary as they are, Lord, we have hope. Our hope is in you. Our hope is in your deliverance. Our hope is in your salvation. Lord, use us where we need to be used. May we not shy away from the work that you have for us, from the calling, from the purpose that you have for us, Lord. Use us in whatever way you want to, Lord. May your light and your love shine brightly before us or out of us and through us, Lord. If you've never received Jesus into your heart and you want to do that now in the quietness of your heart and with, sincere, and with sincerity, just pray this. Lord God, forgive me of my sins. I believe that I'm a sinner and that I've fallen away from you. And so I, now I come before you in forgiveness. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he is Lord. And so now I take these sins and place them at the foot of your cross. I believe he died to forgive me of my sins. And so now, Lord, as I've surrendered to you, I believe again that you've forgiven me for my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may lead a new life, a life that is pleasing and obedient to you, Lord. Use me, fill me, love me, show me your grace, Lord. And thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those who prayed that. May they grow and may they find people around them to disciple them. May they find good churches to teach them the word. May your church grow, Lord. Bless the rest of this week. Bless them all, Lord, their families, their friends, their workplaces. Use them wherever they're at, Lord. Bless this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.